0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Network podcast. I'm Jason Freshley, the Director of Business Development for Wedding Network USA, and I'm excited to be here with Cherie and our guest, Mark Kingsdorf. Mark is the owner and operator of Wedding Ghost, and you will learn more about that as we get into the call. I'm super excited to chat with him, and I know Cherie is as well, because I believe they've known each other for a couple more days than I have. So Cherie, how are you?
1: Good morning, Jason. Well, I'm here in Vancouver, Washington, where it's snowing mightily, so it's a little weird to look out the window and see those big white flakes. We don't get those too often, and I'm excited that Mark Kingsdorf is here as well, and his business is actually the wedding ghost blogger because he is writing blogs and he has such a wonderful history in the industry and we were just chatting earlier and and we know so many people together but we connected up on facebook the joy of social media which people say oh i don't like that stuff And then Mark spied me when we were in wedding MBA and said, sheree, sheree. And so, you know, it's how we learn to expand our marketplace. So I'm really excited to welcome Mark today and ask him to tell us about his history in the industry and where he's going from here. So good morning or good afternoon, Mark.
2: Uh, good afternoon from uh, sunny St. Petersburg, Florida. So (laughs) we we, we don't have the snow here. We're supposed to have record highs. So
1: (laughs) a little, a little different here. So tell me how you got started in the wedding industry. What, what drew you to the industry or was it like somebody just snagged you into the industry? I, I fell into wedding planning completely by
2: accident. I actually have a formal background as a classically trained chef. I went to the Culinary Institute in Hyde Park, New York. I worked for Hyatt Hotels in Dallas and Washington, D.C. I was executive chef for the Smithsonian and ran food service and catering for three museums, and then moved home to suburban Philadelphia. And the restaurant that I became the chef for and eventually one of the owners of launched off-premise catering, and I was doing off-premise catering for weddings, which is really how I got in the mix with weddings. Uh, several years into the company, I decided I really hated business partners and oh. was working on a line of gourmet cookies and muffins. And a friend of mine reached out and said, I've got a couple they are having problems with their caterer for their wedding. Can you chat with them and see what you come up with? Well, it turns out the caterer was someone I had grown up with and we worked to get a new space that he was developing up, running, decorated, did the client's wedding there. The photographer who was the person who brought me into it shot the daylights out of it and it was a win-win for everybody. So they all looked at me and said, why aren't you doing this for a living? And that was back in 2000. And within six months of that, I had registered a business name for a wedding planning company, had done tons of research, had joined ABC, and had assisted on a bunch of weddings from the coordinating side. So I really fell into it
1: by accident. Don't you think, though, that that's how a lot of us, whatever your passion is, cooking or floral or baking or whatever, um, if it leads you down the path to weddings, then you get into the industry and Uh, It just kind of grabs you in. Jason has worked a lot in catering and other parts of the wedding industry as well. And and I'm sure he feels the same way, don't you, Jason?
0: Oh, yeah, you definitely find out. I actually wrote down a little note here, the accidental career when thinking about how a lot of us sometimes stumble into the wedding industry throughout our different transitions and going from one place to another. So, yeah, no, I've and I've done the same now that I'm not so much in the weddings, but more on the business development side. Yeah. So, Mark, what was the name of your planning company? My company was called the Queen of
2: Hearts Wedding Consultants. And that came about, uh, there's an old marketing adage that you should make a list of your presentation, what your company is to portray, what it is, you know, the feel of your business. And I had made a list of uh, royal, elegant, stress-free, regal, just a bunch of words that sat on my refrigerator for a couple of weeks and um, came up with the Queen of Hearts. I thought that it was a fun play, uh, being an openly gay man, and my last name is Kingsdorf, that (laughs) Queen of Hearts, Royal, Romantic, all played together. Now, there were several businesses registered with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania called Queen of Hearts in various forms, Queen of Hearts, Inc., Queen of Hearts. So the wedding consultant part of it just really told people who I was. So um, yeah, the, the food and beverage part of it was a great stepping stone because I understood receptions. I understood the timing. I used to tell wedding planners when I was teaching folks you know, work part time for an off premise caterer so that you can learn how long it takes to unload a truck, to plate, to clear, to serve. Because if you're writing a timeline and you don't know those things, it can be disastrous for them on the back of the house. But you also learn a lot of things like rolling tables in, how to place <laughs> tables, how to set a room. And it was huge. But because right. of that, I also knew what I didn't know. And even though I wasn't ready to just do wedding planning full-time, rather than keeping another job and doing it as a second full-time job, went to work for a bridal salon. And I actually started out kind of sprucing up a vendor room that they had and putting together a wedding show that was multi-locations. But in exchange, I learned about gowns, and veils, and headpieces, and at the time, dyeable shoes. I learned about alterations. So that was a huge piece that I really knew nothing about coming from a food and beverage background. And then I went to work for a floral designer and I answered phones and I scrubbed buckets And then I learned how to prep flowers and got to do some fresh wrapped flowers for the retail business and then learned to do floral production. I am not a designer, but if you make a centerpiece, I can reproduce it. Still do boutonnieres and hand-tied bouquets because I, I get that concept, but designing big centerpieces, not my forte. But it really helped round out the food and beverage
1: background when it came to wedding planning. Wow, I would say you are the total, total package. I mean, I used to work with planners and I, I used to get so frustrated when they would say, you know, I was so mad at the hotel this weekend. I told them I wanted to, you know, do the toast in five minutes. I said, do you know how long it takes to open that many champagne bottles and fill the flutes and get them delivered to the tables? You can't tell them that in five minutes. It has to be on your timeline. And that's how I really got into educating people in the wedding business was because there were too many of these young gals out there thinking they could plan a wedding. And they really didn't have your background, Mark. So really interesting.
2: Yeah, and it worked really well building relationships with caterers and venues because they knew and respected what my background was, that I wasn't the I had fun planning my wedding, so now I'm a wedding planner. Yeah. And I think on the side with my couples, It attracted foodies. It attracted, I I was dealing with the Food Network generation. They were couples that grew up watching the Food Network and liked interesting food, didn't want rubber chicken, may not have wanted salad, entree, wedding cake. So did a lot of work with caterers to do custom designed menus that incorporated the couple's likes and dislikes. And then even things like teaching couples that... You know, I love escargot. I'm not doing escargot as a plated appetizer for 150 people. But I can go ahead and do escargot and puff pastry is a butler past hors d'oeuvres because if I don't like it, there's shrimp, there's a cheese display, there's something else coming along. So I I encourage them to play with a lot of their favorite foods during cocktail hour and then do things that were a little more um, mainstream for the body of their guests to be able to enjoy during the dinner. But even then, we had a lot of fun with the way that things developed with a lot of my clients.
1: Well, I think that the food is such a big piece of the event that it's interesting. Uh, I love that you say, you know, it was like the food network generation, because here in Oregon, you know, we're like heavy, heavy, heavy foodies, and now we have all the food trucks, and it's been so much fun to watch the transition of places where they allow food trucks to pull right into the sort of warehousey space and have the events there, and it's really changed the concept of, of weddings um, here in the Northwest, and probably in a lot of cities around the country. So you were there, you were doing that, and then all of a sudden you were in Florida. Did you get tired of what happened? Well,
2: my husband and I had a five-year plan. We decided we we really were over the cold weather and the snow. So um, we had started to put together a five-year plan to come down to Florida, and we got massive snow the first two years. So it really sped that up a little bit. Um, And, um, you know, we just figured we would come down here warm, sunny, slow life down, A little bit. And um, when we first came down, I figured I would end up at Disney and did a short jaunt there. And um, for better or for worse, Disney is not a company that you can walk into with a huge amount of outside experience, specifically in events, and just say, move over, I'm here, where they value outside experience they're also really looking to promote from within and folks that have learned the Disney way of doing things. So I did some really fun things with their park events operation team and some work with their media events team. um, But didn't see myself getting back to a management level. I was doing hourly part-time things and an opportunity came along through a friend to take over a director of weddings position, wedding sales uh, at a family-run resort in Central Florida. And I did that for three years. During that time, My husband was driving an hour and a half each way to work, uh, three and four days a week. And I was 40 minutes north of our house. And we both decided we wanted to be over on the water. And we wanted to um, uh, live that beach life a little bit. So his job was here already. And I was looking at something that I could do from home, free up some time. And I had already been doing some for fun blogging for a couple friends in the industry and the blog for my former company was still getting such great SEO that a photographer i know reached out and she said what did you do when you wrote everything on that site because you're still coming up page 1 page 2 nobody has logged in almost 2 years so took a good look at that and what i was doing for friends and decided that i wanted to write but i only wanted to write for wedding, event, hospitality. I didn't wanna be the average freelance writer. Um, and what I found was that there are a ton of wedding professionals out there who don't blog on a regular basis. There are a lot of people who haven't blogged six, eight, 10, 12 months. So they're not getting that search engine optimization with the you know web crawlers finding new content and keywords on their site. They're not engaging with their couples because they're not posting any new content. And truly, would you read a wedding magazine if you came back there three, four, five times and they had put any new information in it? So same kind of thing with their blog. And I currently write for clients from Puerto Rico to Beverly Hills, and they are wedding planners, caterers, photographers, decorators, um, all kind of right in my wheelhouse of my experience in weddings and events. So uh, that's been a big piece of the marketing. The second part and the wedding ghost name is that I am truly a ghost writer. I write for clients behind the scenes just like a member of their team would. They typically send me photos in Dropbox or, you know, a a little bit about the couple. And then I pull photos that I can build a story around. And then I go into the details about the type of gown she's wearing, about the venue. I read a lot of their social media and then I post it for them. I'm not just writing text. I'm actually going in and doing keywords and backlinks and tags and alt tags for all of their writing. I'm changing photo titles to things that people are actually searching for, names that they're searching for. Most of your uh, followers, if they were to right click on their own photos and open it in a new window, would find that it probably says XYZ51.jpg and then (laughs) 500 pixels by 300 pixels. Um, and not things that are being searched for, like white wedding bouquet, peony wedding bouquet, small bite entrees, those kind of things. So I do a lot of work with their sites in order to maximize their search engine
1: optimization. Jason, you need to chime in here because this is your wheelhouse <laughs> for sure. He's always on me about now. Remember to do this and say that and. It is a funny
0: thing with blogging that it's the little details and those little things will add up. And like you said, having a blog that you wrote years ago, that's still getting number one news result and search results. It's because it's optimized. And I think there's a lot of people out there who do enjoy blogging and they might write, but they get intimidated and they get really stepped back from the technical side of it. And when they see all that technical stuff, they just freeze and then nothing happens. Whereas at least putting something out there which can be edited later is better than not putting anything out there. And so maybe we could talk a little bit about that old blog that you had that still gets all those search results and maybe talk about some of the tactics or a few of the things that people might be able to take away off the podcast where they can utilize and update some things on their blog as well.
2: Sure. I think one of the first things, and most photographers fall into it, wedding planners do as well. They throw a bunch of pretty photos up there, knowing that people are going to look at them, but don't bother to do anything else. Search engines can't read a photo. A search engine can't tell that that is a pink peony bouquet with pink roses, and crystal embellishment. So retagging your photos for that, but also including text so that You describe what those things are so that the search engines have something to eat, to find you, to catalog you with the terms that couples are looking for. They're not just keywords, they're what we call long tail keywords. So not just bouquet, not just bridal bouquet, it could be white hand tied bridal bouquet. So including some of those when you write is huge. And I think the other part of it is writing in third person. It's easier to talk about you, your team, your company, and include things like the name of your business, the locations where you work, if you're not talking about yourself. So writing in third person is huge and including things that will help search engines find you. You're not just a wedding planner. You're a Vancouver wedding planner. Vancouver Luxury Wedding Planner. So including things that search engines are going to pull from in whatever text you include, writing in a dialogue that tells a story is huge.
0: And I can say one of the things I always recommend to people is to type in Google searches, look and see what the autofill is, but then also scroll all the way down to the bottom of the results and there are eight additional result, long tail SEO keywords and suggestions which you can literally sometimes take the search text and turn it into a title of a blog post.
2: Yeah, they're basically the things that people are typing into a search engine. Yeah. That's what that's what comes up at the bottom of there. So yeah, absolutely. The other thing that I keep telling people, and it's kind of silly, but it's a, it's a two-part thing that works. Number one, turn off the date function on your blog really yep. simple if I log in and I'm looking for and we'll go back to wedding planner and I look at your blog and the last blog was dated two years ago the first thing that goes through my brain is a millennial is how up on their social media are they how savvy are they about what's going on in the industry how responsive are they to my needs if they can't post their own blog in two years if there's no date and somebody new logs in, they don't know how long ago you posted. The other part that goes along with that is turn off the tag function on your blog. Not that you're not putting in tags on the back end of your platform, but so that you don't see them. If you read blogs, a lot of times at the very bottom of the blog, where hopefully the social media links are, there's a whole list of the keywords, tags that you used for your blog. Why would you put all that time into finding and developing those words that are helping a search engine find you only to share them with every other wedding planner, caterer, photographer, whoever it is, that is reading your blog? You're doing the hard work and you're turning it over to your potentially competition.
0: Yeah. I've never been a big fan of recommending the tags. I tell people to use them as kind of an, int- I use them as an internal search engine. But even then, even for my blog, I don't typically use the tags anymore because the category is what's key. And one of the things I learned about blogging is that the categories, um, updating the permalink in the URL structure. So the category is in the URL after the .com, as well as the blog title. So that Again, you're getting those extra keywords, not only in the title, not only in the content, but in the URL. Yeah, okay, so I,
1: explain I, that because uh, you guys <laughs> just lost me there.
2: <laughs> in, in your blogging platform, when you go in behind the scenes and you put in your blog title, usually somewhere to the right of that or just below that is a little space that says permalink. And ideally, it says www.thenameofyourbusiness.com forward slash and then whatever the words are in your title of that blog. And I think where we were going with that was, um, you know, you can add on to that to include outdoor wedding, rustic wedding, beachside wedding, so that those search terms are being picked up in addition to the title.
0: Wow. And that's an easy with, I was gonna say, most people probably have either WordPress or Squarespace. And with both of those, those are easy settings that you can update on your website. I know with WordPress, you can go in there and change it. This was a trick I learned, I think I've posted somewhere. Uh, But you add it, you make sure to add in the category to the URL. So in WordPress, you have categories for your blog section. And I've always told people to do about seven or eight categories, or however many work for them, but to make sure those categories are also things that people are searching for, because it gives an added boost at times.
1: So Mark, how do you think, I mean, we say, what what people are searching for, how does the average uh, florist know what the hell people are searching for? Um,
2: I I think it's pretty easy to figure out just from talking to your couples. Okay. (laughs) I had a package that was essentially month of that was called simple, elegant, and stress-free. And the reason that I called it that was because every bride who called me, when you asked them what they wanted for their wedding, they said, I want a simple, elegant, stress-free wedding. And I'm like, uh, okay, I'm hearing this time and time again. Why don't I just call a package simple, elegant, and stress-free and see where that goes? So I think in talking to your couples, if you're a florist, you know the terms in your business. Mm -hmm. If they're asking for hand-tied bouquets if they're looking for tall overhead arrangements on a glass trumpet vase that's what people are searching for you know if they're looking it could be as simple as you know purple is a hot color this year with ultraviolet being pantone color you know purple bridal bouquet is a very searched term Lavender and uh, plum and slate wedding. If you're seeing a lot of those, then you probably want to tag the ones that you're posting with that. I think that in general, wedding planner or decorator, you know, yellow and gray wedding, mm-hmm. whatever those things are that you're doing, that's what people are searching for. Most of them don't know the technical terms. They're going to say, I want a yellow and gray wedding.
1: Gotcha. So do you think in terms of past blogs that people have, if they remove those dates, as you said, that they could repurpose them and, you know, maybe update some of the pictures or whatever? Is there a way for them to take that and and make that content that might still be a valuable educational uh, process for people? Uh, can they take that and either upgrade the blog or make make the blog better or use it in some other form to put out through their social media? I mean, do you encourage people to do that?
2: Uh, They they can. (laughs) Uh, Most of it is not going to be dated as in like passe right um the, the challenge uh, you could if you if you were to turn off the dates you could go back a year or two and still you know take a wedding that you have on your blog. You don't even have to freshen the photos just go in and do the SEO work on them put in tags tags the resort that you worked at the hotel. If you're writing and you include the name of a professional partner, do a hyperlink to their website. If you're writing about Pantone, about a color of the year, link to Pantone so that people can see exactly what that is. It also gives you great SEO because that's a viable link to something people are searching for. You know, just freshen it up with some searchable content. And then you can take that that link, that permalink that is the name of the blog, and feed it into your business Facebook page to give you content. I mean, I encourage all of my clients when we do a blog, I send them a notice that it's up on their blog, you know, please go ahead and share it on
1: your social media. Sure. And so how long should the typical blog be? I mean, people ask me this all the time. And for me, when I'm writing a blog for my own business, it's more topic based that drives the length. But then I read things and they say, oh, it should be this many words or that many words or, you know, can you clear up that mystery?
2: Yeah. I've seen people who say it should be anywhere from a 1,000 to 1,200 words. And truthfully, I do 300-word blogs for my clients. As long as you are telling the story, topic-based, and getting in keywords that help drive traffic and some great photos, that's a good length. And I don't want to bash millennials. I, I adore... (laughs) that generation and what they're doing in the world and what they're doing in terms of weddings. If you look at it, they are the soundbite generation. They are the Twitter, 149 characters or less. They are the texting generation. So when I write, and I'm 57, I try not to write in large paragraphs. I write in small soundbite Pieces. I break up paragraphs. I drop photos in that obviously support whatever that text is. And I think, you know, 300 to 500 with well-written text is good. You tend to lose your readers beyond that. Not that they're not reading novels, but most of the millennials that I know read their news online. They want small soundbite, get to the details, tell me what I'm reading, tell me what's important, show me some photos, and on. And if you're planning a wedding and you're really busy, that's the way you're gonna get most of your content.
0: And it's also when you break up the content like that, you allow people to skim it and you allow them to kind of go through and you can bold something or italicize something or underline something or put a bullet. Different, you know, just editing and techniques you can do so that people stop and see the important part of the blog, if it is short or even if it is long.
2: And the reality of a blog, truthfully, is a 50-50 split. I think 50% of it is letting your prospective clients into your world. Let them see beautiful weddings or whatever it is that you've done. Let them learn a little bit about you and your personality and it doesn't have to be a novel. The other 50% is searchability. You are feeding search engines. So making sure that you've got text that is feeding that search engine, that they're going to find you that they're going to be able to catalog you targeted for your your experience, your ideal client, your location in the region, what you do for work, including that kind of information is the
1: other 50%. So how did you get involved and knowledgeable about that piece of the, the world when you came from being executive chef and owners of a business and then and all these things? It's like, wow, Mark, this is like a whole nother chapter.
2: It it is. And and it's funny because I think in school, creative writing was always my strong point as far back as junior high school working on like the school newspaper and and those kind of things. But uh, whoever it was that said, necessity is the mother of invention. When I started my company in 2000, I had a marketing budget of zero. Right. I, I was printing trifold brochures on my own computer. I was hard copy printing contracts on my own computer. I paid somebody to do business cards, but for the most part, you know, it was a budget of zero. So when the internet really started to develop and admittedly, I started with an AOL email address. We go back that far. uh, I got a blog right away. Um, Through several friends of mine on the industry, I was probably one of the oldest guys on Twitter when it started. (laughs) I've been on Facebook forever just because I could share about myself and my business in those platforms, and it cost me nothing. Right. Just your time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was learning about how to let people into my world. I do a blog for fun because I ghostwrite and can't share who clients are. I started a blog called authenticallymark.com, And I, it started with a hashtag that was authentically Mark. And anybody who really knows me knows that there is really no other version of Mark. If it comes to my brain, it comes out of my mouth. And if I drink vodka, there is no filter at all. But um, it is part rant, part travel, part cooking, part life adventures, but it gives people an insight into my writing style for me, which is going to be different than my writing style for a client and just who I am. And it really mirrors what I did with Queen of Hearts because I shared about our team. I shared about the charity events that we were involved in you know the the things the classes we were going to and the associations we were part of because it established me as an expert in my market sure yeah so this, this was just kind of an offshoot of that it was things that i just kept reading and learning about how to write better blogs and how to get better search engine visibility and
0: having fun with my writing And so I know, I want to go back to the wedding ghost blogging business for a minute, because I know some people may have the question, well, how can you write blogs for so many wedding professionals who are all planners or who are all officiants or venues and kind of maybe how you structure who you talk to or who who you write for and where your limits are?
2: Sure. Really simple. I decided that I was only going to blog for one, and I hate using the term vendor. Wedding professional. Thank you. Everybody in the world uses the term vendor, and that's the guy with the hot dog stand. Yep. Um, (laughs) one, One wedding professional in any given category in any major market. So... If you are in, and I'll take Orlando because I live there, one wedding planner, one caterer, one photographer, and and done. St. Pete, same way. Um, fortunately, with my background and my connections through, you know, years in the business and speaking nationally at a a number of conferences, my base has been really spread out, which is kind of cool. So I haven't had a lot of competition. Obviously having been in Philly for so long, there were a number of people who came to me in the same categories and were like, please write for us. I'm like, sorry,
0: already blocked. And then so I guess your clients are probably coming from word of mouth slash just being in the industry for so long. A good bit of it. A good bit of it. I'm actually
2: doing some um, B2B writing for um, a national wedding website right now that I've just started. So hopefully that will take it out to other people who may not have known me or people that have known me over the years, but didn't know what I was doing now. Um, So yeah, a good portion of it's been word of mouth right now.
0: How much creativity, or I should say, like inputting the voice of the business into the blog? You know, I know sometimes that might be a challenge for people, but I know I'm sure writing so many, you're able to capture that business when helping to write the blogs for them. Yeah, absolutely.
2: When we start out, I typically talk with a client a decent amount. Find out about the history of the business. I read through, if they've got old blogs, a ton of those to see what it is that they've shared, what their personality is, if they've taken the time to talk about their staff, the people that are client-facing, letting them see their chef, if the chef is developing menus, other activities that they're in, what kind of charitable events they're part of. So I read a ton of their website, any of their old blogs. I have clients that are just building a blog and starting out fresh, um, I also look at clients' social media. I look to see what's on their Instagram, their Facebook, their Twitter, so that I understand their voice and, and what their style is. Are they a luxury bland, brand? Are they more, you know, mom and pop down to earth? Do they focus on rustic weddings? Is their style light and airy? You know, what, what is it about them?
1: It's interesting to me because I think about having the energy that it takes to be involved with this many different types of businesses, and yet it's all basically in our umbrella industry. And I think, you know, because of your vast experience, it just really helps when you're writing these blogs for these different types of companies and how exciting for them because, you know, the content uh, we just keep seeing over and over again, content is king, content is king. And yet, I don't know. The other question I was concerned about is all this talk about content, but how relevant is it? And then how often should we be blogging as a business? If you're a florist or a planner, how often should you be blogging? I see a lot of folks that are, if they're
2: blogging regularly, mm-hmm. it is once a month. With my clients, I blog once a week or at a minimum every other week. When I had my own company, I had planners that worked for me and they were required to give me one blog a month. So with four team members plus myself, we were blogging at least once a week. So I would get their content, I would fluff it a little bit and upload everything with the tags and all of the links. So that that's a good standard and I do a great mix with my clients. It is not necessarily real wedding, real wedding, real wedding, real wedding. Mm -hmm. It may be real wedding this week. It may be a planning tip, a top 10 first dance songs, a bridal bouquet style. It could be any number of things. Then you've got the option of talking about team members, about charitable activities that they're involved with. I love to pull some recent reviews from some of the online wedding websites and, you know, boast with those. Again, being an outsider, writing in third person about this company you can blow their horn a little bit and i've told wedding professionals forever i don't care what you think your business is your business is whatever your clients are saying in your reviews so if your clients are saying i love working with them they're really creative they're really organized they're very detailed well then you should really be focusing on those three details in your marketing because
1: that's what your clients are seeing in you. And if they're seeing those things in you, wow. I mean, I used to love to get, you know, I'd get handwritten notes before the days of online reviews and they would say, you know, Sheree was like the general. She was really polite, but she got everything done, you know. And knowing that, then they passed your name on because you were good at what you did. But it's hard as the person to go out and say that. Like you said, it's easier for you to toot, toot their horn than for them to do it. So I think just. I mean, I've already gotten, you know, I've all these notes, but the 300 word blog and, and learning how to do that in the third person and, you know, really making something of it that I can talk about more about other things. It's, it's really kind of eye opening. And I think most, you know, most people that are small business owners, the solopreneur who we have so many in our industry, um sometimes they're just struggling to keep their head above water, you know, and they don't have time to do this stuff. And that's where you come come in, Mark, you know, it, so that's it it's is. exciting. And
2: and I came from that background. So yeah. I understand it, but I understand the importance of sharing that information as a tool to, to market your business. So, you know, I've made sure that it's affordable. Um, I have a client that had someone, freelance writing background, knew a little bit, you know, ab- about weddings that was doing the writing, but was then kicking it back to her to pick pictures, to support it, to do all the tagging. And she was spending 60 to 90 minutes a blog investing in that, where I take on that piece of it. And because of my background, what i'm hearing back from clients are that because i have such a well-rounded background and i'm not just a freelance writer i'm a master wedding planner i they they send me photos in dropbox i look at which ones fit together and tell a story and show the details of their business of what they brought together for a curated team the details that they actually produced for that client, the details that people are searching for, and then write a narrative to go with those photos. So basically, they drop box photos, and they send me a paragraph that says, Janie and John met in college. They love to travel to Tuscany. They did a Tuscan feel And then I just run with those details and how the photos and the details support that story.
1: So exciting to me because it's like, I could see if I was still in that side of the industry, I'd be like, sign me up, Mark, this is, you know, I don't have time to do this. And you say it is affordable, I'm not gonna pin you down to pricing, but it is something that a solopreneur, could afford to have at least one blog a month.
2: Yeah, I, like I said, I I typically am not doing a lot of one blog a month. Every other week is usually the minimum right. okay. of what I'm yeah. doing. But I'm I'm a solopreneur yeah. and I'm, you know, happy to chat with people about a program that would help them. Oh, that's wonderful. If it's once a month, they just have to understand that you are not going to see the search engine results as rapidly over a year with 12 blogs as you would over a year with 52 blogs or 26 blogs. Right. Absolutely. There's (laughs) just more content there to
1: feed those search engines. Right. So any other fabulous tips you want to share with our listeners today? Well, I'm just like overwhelmed. It's so exciting. And I'm, I'm excited for this one to go live so that people could see the show notes and really understand what you do and have them reach out to you. And maybe you'll get some new clients out of it and we'll be happy too. So,
2: Yeah, I, I think um, just looking at your blog as a narrative, as a third person, whether you're describing that company's real wedding, So that you can include the name of your business, of your team, of the partners that you curated. That helps you to be able to tell that story and get the name, the business name, the location in without feeling like I'm saying me, 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 me. So that that helps a lot. Look at making your blog well rounded. The content, again, not to pick on photographers because their work is beautiful and helps the rest of us sell our business. But a lot of photographers are tossing up real wedding, real wedding, real wedding, real wedding, and not talking about their experience, how they work with a couple, what their process is, what they do for fun so that. I'm a dog person, you're a dog person, I love your work, this could be a match made in heaven. Those kind of things, charity pieces. Um, Millennials want to contact with people that have the same values that they have. So, you know, mixing it up is huge regardless of what aspect
0: of wedding professional you are. Wow. Now I kind of know where to go next with my blog. Yeah,
1: it's kind
0: of I I know where to go to ask questions.
2: (laughs) And I think one of the other things is I've had folks who they're like, I've got time to do this and I think I'm doing okay, but I could use a little guidance. I've done some individual consulting with folks where I look back at their last six, eight, 10 blogs, make a written list of suggestions, and then share that with them with how they can improve. And and do it for a consulting fee if they're not looking at a long-term investment of having somebody blog for an entire year, just looking at what they might not be doing. To maximize
0: their results. Really well to maximize their results. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And so I'll put this in the show notes, but do you really want to quick say how people can find you?
2: Yep. I'm a blogger, so I actually have a blog. Uh, (laughs) It's WeddingGhost.com. And there's a blog there that has some tips and, you know, talks about the pieces, a lot of the type of things that we talked about. If you want to just in general, find out a little bit more, I think I've got 5,000 Facebook friends. That's always a good way to find out what's going on and, and pick my brain. Cause that happens a lot. Um, and then authentically is my blog for me that has photos and the way that they're tagged and uh, some, some good, fun content.
0: Well, I'm definitely super excited to check out all the resources and see what's going on and see if I need questions or what's next for me. And I hope the listeners of this podcast will be ready to jump in and dive into their content marketing and their blogging.
1: Me too. And I thank you so much, Mark, for spending some time with us today because I know that you and Jason had not met in person. And so... You know, I mean, and the fact that he's in Florida right now would make it pretty easy for you guys to connect up while he's there. So we really appreciate your time and your expertise and and you have so much to bring and share with the industry. So I'm sure that everybody that listens to this podcast is going to be checking you out, especially at Authentically Mark.
0: (laughs)
2: Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me to be
0: part of it. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Mark, for coming and joining us on the podcast. Cherie will have another guest next week, and I look forward to speaking with them. For everybody out there, have a good rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon.